0: Daniel chapter 2, please. Daniel 2. Daniel chapter 2. We did the first half of Daniel chapter 2 last week, dropping off in verse 30. This chapter was half narrative, half prophecy. So during the first half of the chapter here, it's the background on Nebuchadnezzar having the dream, wanting the dream interpreted. And so therefore, Daniel, through the power of the Lord, is able to interpret the dream. I'm not trying to obviously um, make light of the first 30 verses. They're very important. I encourage if you weren't with us last week, grab a copy of the CD or listen to it online. But that sets the scene for verse 31 tonight is this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that was so powerful to him gets to be interpreted. This is part of the beauty of the book of Daniel, as we've shared before. Half the book of Daniel is narrative, the other half is prophecy. We get into our first group of prophecy tonight, and we'll talk a little bit about the importance of prophecy, why it's there, but the main emphasis is going to be the prophecy itself, and that's going to be the main thing we're talking about. Dustin, were you able to get that up and going? Nope. Okay. So let's go right into this, Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31. It says, you, O king, were watching, behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of the kings, for the God has given you the kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell... The beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you rule over all them. You are the head of gold. But after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And then the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, and as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now we'll just stop there for a little bit. So he sees this big statue. And we had a picture of it. We're going to show it tonight, but we couldn't get it up there working. This is this big statue. And uh, the head is made out of gold. You can kind of follow along there. And the chest and arms are silver. The belly and the thighs are made out of bronze. The legs are made out of iron. And the feet are made out of iron and clay. So he sees this huge statue made of different metals there. And then at the end of his dream, he sees the stone come out of the sky that hits the feet of the statue. And it completely obliterates the statue then. And then what happens is this stone just keeps growing and growing and then eventually takes over the entire world. And this is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had again and again and again. He couldn't figure out the interpretation. He goes to his wise people of Babylon, and we talked about last week how that represented the wisdom of the world, and they said, hey, figure this out, and they said, we can't. Then they turned to Daniel, the Hebrew, child of God, and Daniel, through the power of the Lord, is able to give the interpretation which shows the power of God. So that's the dream. What's the interpretation mean? It's pretty straightforward. You can look at your sheets there real quick. We know from putting this all together that the head, we know what it represents. This is one of those dreams and prophecies where the interpretation is pretty straightforward. God takes care of it for it. It says right there in verse 37, as it comes out, you are king of kings. Verse 38, you are the head of gold. Babylon is the head of gold. Pretty straightforward. Gold represents power, represents majesty, represents wealth. Babylon If you would look back in world history, there probably has never been a nation as powerful as Babylon was in its heyday. Powerful nation. Nebuchadnezzar, powerful king. Well, it comes right out and says, verse 39, after you shall rise another kingdom. That's the chest and arms of silver. We know who that is. After Babylon, it's the Medes and the Persians that took over. Now, it's kind of interesting that it picks to be silver. From history, we know that the Medes and Persians, one of the things that they did is they required payment in silver. It's also interesting to note that the statue, the two arms, were made of silver. It's interesting because the Medes and Persians were two nations that came together, the Medes and the Persians, two arms, silver. Next one, belly and thighs, bronze. We know that came after Medes and the Persians. was Alexander the Great, representing the Greeks, Greece. We know that they used bronze armor, bronze shields. They came in, they represent the bronze. And lastly, we have the legs of iron, which represent Rome. And it's not just iron. If you look at verse 40, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Rome was powerful. Babylon was majestic and powerful and everything. Rome is just pure power. And they ruled the world very powerfully. And so they represent the idea of iron. Rome actually also had the iron armor and the iron shields. Now we're to the last part here, this iron and clay mixed together that you see in verse 41. Now this is where it gets kind of interesting. You can see in your notes there, we put Rome divided. There's two ways to look at this iron and clay mixed together. One is that at the end of Roman's empire, empire, excuse me, that they were so strong, so big, I should say, so scattered that they became divided. And so this idea of iron mixed with clay shows that even though they were powerful, yet they were also so weak. They grew beyond what they could control, and they were very weak at the end. Some people also see the feet as being something that's happening today, this idea of iron and clay being mixed together. It's kind of interesting as we read right here. Look at verse 43. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they mingle with the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Some people believe that this iron and clay mixture is actually a prophetic event that we're talking about right now. Because if you really look at iron, the Roman Empire, Rome affects nearly every Western nation today. Europe is based off of Rome. Our government based off of Rome. The world is based off of the Roman Empire. And mixed with clay, you can see there once again in verse uh, 43, mixed with the seed of men. Some people believe this refers to end times, this idea of the idea of Rome's lasting legacy being mixed with mankind, the antichrist, this will be the kingdom at the end. And as you can see there in verse 44, the stone that comes down and destroys it. Look at the middle part of verse 44. The kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. We know that that stone that comes down is a representation of God, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. So real quick. That's what the statue represents, the head of gold, Babylon, chest and arms of silver, the Medes and Persians, the belly and thighs of bronze, that's the Greeks, legs of iron, which is Rome, and then the feet, iron and clay, is either Rome divided or it's a prophetic event talking about the nations that we're dealing with right now. The stone that comes down destroys it as Christ, which we're going to get to here in just a little bit. Any quick questions, comments over the statue itself? Brian. Yeah. It is the center of the world from the Bible is Jerusalem, and it always has been, always will be. And I would even say to this day, and I am not trying to downplay anything that's going on in other parts of the world, obviously it's important, but the center of the world to me right now is Israel. So when I hear Israel in the news, my ears perk up a little bit. When I hear about Israel and Iran and what's going on there, my ears perk up a little bit. Because according to God, when he comes and reigns during the millennial reign, he reigns from Jerusalem. It's still the center of the world to God. So you make up a very point there, Ryan, from biblical prophecy perspective and from the prophecies of the Bible and also just from the Bible in general, it always centers around Jerusalem. If you're watching the news, if you're looking through the paper, if you see anything with Israel, Jerusalem, pay a little bit more attention to that. It's always going to be more important than the other stuff you read. Somebody else had a hand up I thought I saw. Yeah, surely. Well, Babylon back here during this time represents actual Babylon. There was an actual country of Babylon. When you get past this point here of Babylon being destroyed, when you read about Babylon in the Bible, when it talks about Babylon, it's usually referring to the Babylonian world system, this idea of greed and lust, etc. So when we talk about Babylon today, it's usually a picture of greed and lust and sin. Now, we do know from studying out the book of Revelation, when you get to Revelation 18-17, that it looks like Babylon will actually be physically actually rebuilt. There is not a town of Babylon today. There is not a country of Babylon today. But it looks like it's going to be rebuilt. And I have a wonderful article, and it's in my office hanging up on my wall, that it was written about, oh, six, seven years ago in the New York Times, where after Iraq was defeated, that they came in and they said, we want to rebuild Babylon to its glory that it was. And there is a push for that now. So to answer your question, what are we talking about Babylon? Here in Daniel 2, we're talking about the actual nation of Babylon, kingdom of Babylon, I should say, that was ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. When we talk about Babylon in the New Testament, we're talking more about a world system of sin that's called Babylon. But then when you get to Revelation 17 and 18, it looks like you're actually talking about a literal Babylon that could be actually rebuilt. So Babylon refers to actually three different things there as you study it out in the Bible. Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that's a very valid point, and I've heard that before too, that Babylon, if you look at it, was the most majestic of all nations, hence gold. Rome was powerful. You don't think of majesty with Rome. And so therefore you think of gold with Babylon to iron with Rome, but at the same time too, Rome when it came to its power, I mean look at it right here as it describes it in verse 40. It breaks in pieces, shatters everything, it crushes. That was the power of Rome. And so, yes, the metals get less valuable, but yet they get also more powerful at the same time, too. So I thought I saw another hand up. Shirley. Where's Babylon located? In Iraq. Yep. Yep. it would be located in in present-day Iraq. Anybody else have anything? Okay. So that's the dream. That's what it is. We need to talk about this Christ, the stone here real quick, and we're, we're a little short on time. I'll just look at these references. Look at Daniel 2:45. It's important to note this. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Made without hands, that's a reference to God. Because obviously Jesus is born of God. Yes, he was born of the Virgin Mary, but yet he is God and of God, so therefore made without hands. And also if you look in Daniel 2.35, this stone comes down and crushes the image, becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. That's a reference to the everlasting kingdom of God. Now we don't have time to look at these two references of stone, but I want to look at Luke 20. Turn with me to Luke chapter 20, please. Luke 20. This idea of Christ being the stone is vital. Luke 20 is the most important reference when it comes to this for us here today. If you get a chance, go look at that 1 Peter 2 where it talks about Christ being the stone. But for right now, the Luke 20 is what I want to go to. Jump back to verse 17 with Luke 20. It says, then he looked at them and said, what then is that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Reference to Christ being the stone rejected by the Jews. But yet the chief cornerstone, the most important piece of the building. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. That is a key verse. You will have a run in with Christ, the stone, one way or another. You will either fall on that stone and become broken, or the stone will fall on you and grind you to powder. Now, if you fall on the stone and are broken, that means you're giving your life over to Christ. You fall on the stone and you say, I am broken. I am yours. I am completely yours. And I give you my sin, my my doubts, my fears, my concerns. I give you everything. I'm a broken man. And that's good. But If you choose not to fall on the stone to be broken, the stone will eventually fall on you. And that's a reference to the judgment of God. And so that's what we're looking at here in Daniel. is this stone comes down, hits that statue, grinds it to powder. The Bible says it grinds it to the pieces you can't even find him anymore. That's the judgment of God. So just to be perfectly blunt, you either turn to Christ and fall on the stone and you're broken you have everlasting life, or you reject it, the stone falls on you, crushes you, and you're sentenced to hell for all of eternity. That's the reality here of what we're trying to say. And with that being said, now back to Daniel, if you would please. Nebuchadnezzar has to choose what he thinks about this. We can see his great response in verse 46. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now, you would like to look at verses 47 and 48 and said Nebuchadnezzar got it. He didn't. Because next week, Daniel chapter 3, he makes the big statue, and he says, If you don't worship me, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. Well, at the end of that, what it comes out to is Nebuchadnezzar says after that, he goes, Wow, no one can worship any god except your god because you guys are amazing. So you think that Nebuchadnezzar got it then, but then you get to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. He still doesn't get it. Finally, at the end of Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar gets it and gets it sincerely. You have to remember in verses 47 and 48, just because someone is stating a fact about God does not mean that they're stating it in faith. As we've said numerous times out here, Satan believes in God. He believes Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He believes in the resurrection. He believes in eternity. He believes in heaven. He believes in hell. He believes in all of that. Those are facts, but he's not put his faith in Christ. I've met many people that believe the facts of God. I've run up and do you believe in God? Of course I believe in God. I, I believe what the Bible says is true. But they never gave their life over to Christ. They never fell on the stone and were broken. That stone will fall on them and crush them. We have a tendency to read verses 47 and 48 and say, oh my goodness, he got it. He got it in his head, but he didn't get it in his heart. Billy Graham has said numerous times the distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches between your head and your heart. I mean, you all know people that get it, the knowledge of it. They believe in God. They don't doubt the existence of a God. They believe in Jesus. They've never given their life completely over to them and fallen on the stone. Some people here may believe that. I don't know. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't get it in Daniel 2, Daniel 3, not even at the beginning of Daniel 4. Finally, at the end of Daniel 4, nebuchadnezzar becomes a broken man and that's the whole point of daniel 4 as nebuchadnezzar is broken and that's what we're going to get to in a little bit which takes us to the purpose here look at the bottom of your sheets we can sit here and say okay james we just spent 15 20 minutes talking about a statue made of gold silver bronze and iron and this whole idea of what it means and represents of nations that lived 2500 years ago i came to church not history why in the world are we talking about this what is the purpose of the prophecy the first one here is planting seeds God is working on Nebuchadnezzar's heart. And he's working on Nebuchadnezzar's heart by revealing things to him. Now, it would have been great if after Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar would have hit his knees and said, I get it, I believe. didn't happen. It had have been great after Daniel 3, if Nebuchadnezzar would have hit it, his knees and said, I get it, I believe. didn't happen. This is planting seeds. Look back into your spiritual life. How many times has God allowed events in your life, mind-blowing events to happen? What was he trying to do? He was trying to get your attention. I've shared this story before and I'll make it quick. I can remember years ago there was a guy that just started coming out to church, just a Sunday or two. His wife came out faithfully, and he was faced with just an unwinnable situation. To this day, it was one of the most unwinnable situations I've ever seen in my life. And he was just faced with it. He didn't know what to do. He called me up, didn't know this guy real well. His wife, excuse me, his wife was a strong believer. He said, What do I do? I said, Let's just pray. Let's just really pray about this, because this is out of our hands, and let's see what God does. And he had no other option. He said he agreed. We prayed on the phone. We prayed about it. This unwinnable situation turned to be a minor miracle. Everything worked out better than perfectly. He started coming out to church regularly. You know what happened? Quit coming. It was a Nebuchadnezzar. It was amazing. Look what God did. He wouldn't stop talking about it for a couple weeks. I can't believe what God did. I can't believe what God did. Can you believe what God did? I said, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. And I said, you need to take this. And then let's go to the next step. You're right. Can you believe what he did? Went on for a couple weeks, and then he disappeared. He still has disappeared. You know how many Nebuchadnezzars we run into? They ask you for prayer. They ask you, you know, can you please pray? Can you do this? God does something in their life. Their eyes open for just a bit and they say, wow. You know what? Maybe I'll start going out to church with you. You know what? Maybe you're right on this God thing. There's some neat things happening here. And there's an excitement for a while and then it dissipates. This is the one thing I've noticed. If you have a real walk with Christ, it will show. If you don't have a strong walk with Christ, it will show. What happened with Nebuchadnezzar? God, you're amazing, Daniel 2. End of Daniel 3, God, you're amazing. But it never was a real thing. Finally, at the end of Daniel 4, it was a real thing. So the purpose of this prophecy is God planting seeds into Nebuchadnezzar. The next thing here proves his mortality. God is trying to show Nebuchadnezzar, yes, you're the head of gold, but you know what? Your kingdom will not last forever. You have to think about the guts it took for Daniel to go into the most powerful man in the world at this time and say, by the way... You're the head of gold, but another kingdom is going to overtake you. That's a lot of guts. God was trying to show Nebuchadnezzar your mortality. You are going to die. And once you die, as it says there in Hebrews 9.27, is it appointed for men to die once, but after the judgment? Death is inevitable. That's one thing we do at our house, and we may be weird for this. We talk about death all the time, it's going to happen. I tell the boys sometimes while we're sitting there talking, saying, listen, I may not be here forever. So if I'm not here forever, I want you to remember this is how a man is supposed to treat a woman. This is how you're supposed to be godly men because I don't know how much time I'm going to have with you. Dawn hates those conversations, but it's the truth. I don't know. So we talk about death. We talk about the rapture. Judah, our secondborn, he always says, I don't want to go the dead route. What's that other thing? I want to go that way. Yes, let's shoot for the rapture. I agree. We taught them today. The verse they're learning now is in Hebrews, and it's got this word inheritance. And I didn't know what inheritance was. I said, well, you know what inheritance is? Inheritance is when we die, you get the house, you get the cars, you get everything. So Judah today, he would get done with school and he'd come up to me and he goes, guess what? And I said, what? He goes, inheritance. I said, yeah. And I said, what that mean, Judah? Inheritance? He goes, inheritance means when you die, Dad, I get it all. And he did this, he did this <laughs> demonic laugh. I was like, ha, 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 ha. It, it was creepy. It's creepy. I'm sleeping with a gun tonight. It was really, really kind of creepy. He gets it. If you go ask my boys... And this sounds really creepy, and if we're recording the service, so don't turn me into human services here. My boys have given the option. They're ready to go. Because in their little world, heaven sounds really good. It's only us as adults as we get older that we like want to cling to something here on this planet. And, and I'm not real old, but I don't know what I want to cling to. I just want the Lord, and I want my family to know the Lord. And so one of the things that God is trying to do here to Nebuchadnezzar through this dream is prove his mortality. Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to die. You have to face the fact: you are king, and you're worshipped as God, but you're gonna die. Takes us to our last one. Prophecy proves who God is. Please turn with me to Isaiah. You can see all these verses are together here, so it won't take us long to get through them. Isaiah 41. These are good verses to know. If you ever want to know what separates the Bible from other quote-unquote books, Book of Mormon, the Quran, etc., the one thing the Bible has that no other religious book in the world has. Is prophecy. God says prophecy. And He says, if you want to know I'm real, I will tell you the future. That's how you know I'm real. Isaiah 41. Look it up here in uh, verse 21. The Lord is talking about idols, false idols. And verse 21 says, Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Look at this. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things that were That we may consider them and know the latter end them Or declare to us things to come Show the things that are come hereafter That we may know that you are gods Now, I, I, this is one attribute of God That's not brought out much God's sarcastic <laughs> He really is He's saying here, fine, you're a god Tell me what's going to happen Show me the future If you can show me the future, you're a god He keeps this point going Stay in Isaiah 40, go to 42 Now look at verse 9 Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you them. Before they even happen, I tell you them. Jump to Isaiah 44, please. Verse 7, Isaiah 44, verse 7. Who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Prophecy separates God from false gods. Very simply put, prophecy, big G God. No prophecy, little g God. And God is God. And so why we have these prophecies in Daniel, sometimes we look at this stuff and say, come on, why are we wasting time on this? Okay, fine, there's a statue It represents Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and Rome and future kingdoms to come. Stone knocks it down. I get it. What did I learn? You learn that God knows the future. That's pretty impressive. So if God knows the future, then why are we worrying about the present? Because he knows what's going to happen and he'll get you through it. So therefore, when I'm sitting here worrying about this or that, The Lord knows it and you know what we all have to practice what we preach had a situation today that happened at home Dawn got worked up about something and I'm sitting there saying come on said you can't you can't let emotion get the best of you you can't let worry get the best of you you know we got to set an example here we can't allow this stuff to happen and you know one of the verses that she was just teaching the boys was that God knows the hairs on your head so I was in full pastor mode I said you're telling the boys that God knows the hair on your head and yet you're sitting here worrying about something you know what happened about 20 minutes later I got a phone call and guess what I started to do I started worrying about some situation. And at that point, I had to say, wait a second. Do you really believe what you just said? Okay, if God knows the future, I don't need to worry about the present. I don't. He's got it all under control. Prophecy shows we don't have to worry about things. There's a big stone coming to knock out the statue. We win. Now, real simple, you just got to decide. Are you letting the rock crush you? are you going to fall on the rock and be broken? Nebuchadnezzar eventually, two chapters later, falls on the rock and he's broken. And I tell you, Daniel chapter 4 is one of the most powerful testimonies in the Bible. And I can't wait to meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. How cool is that going to be? He eventually falls on the stone and is broken. But you know what had to happen? A lot of seeds had to be planted before he got there. Just think about this for a little bit. Think back to maybe you had somebody that was instrumental in leading you to the Lord. How many times did they talk to you and pray for you and plant seeds for you? I got saved when I was a junior in high school. And I remember Pastor Krager, you know, anybody that went out to Patrick Henry, you had Mr. Krager as a teacher. I remember my freshman year and my junior year, the guy never gave up. Just kept talking and planting seeds and praying and amen. For two years, he was willing to plant seeds. And I appreciate the fact that he did that. Eventually the crop came when I was a junior, and I'm appreciative of that. Maybe you had somebody in your life right now, and you're about ready to give up on. Oh, boy, keep planting seeds. God doesn't give up. Keep planting seeds. Trust that the Lord will bring it to fruit, and it's going to need to see what God does. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here? Ryan. Uh, first, day, river, river, yeah. It is. It's quite interesting, especially that last point there, what Saddam Hussein thought about himself in the Babylonian Empire. Saddam thought he was going to bring back the Babylonian Empire, and Ryan brought up a good point there about him being this idea of this deity, and it's just fascinating to see. Um, well, obviously, we know what happened there, and the Lord, the Lord wins. The stone knocks down the statue. We know that's going to happen. Anybody else have anything they want to say before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you for being a God of prophecy. Thank you for being a God that knows the future and not only knows the future, directs the future. And we don't have to worry. Thank you for being a God that loves and plants seeds. Uh, Boy, you could have given up on Nebuchadnezzar and you didn't. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for not giving up on us. And Lord, we come to you now and we all have people heavy on our hearts that we're scared for. They don't know you. but I pray that through your spirit, you're speaking to their heart right now, that uh, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Lord, I pray that they willfully fall on the rock and are broken. Lord, we say thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and thank you for being a prophetic God. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless.